The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, member of the Wells, preached on November 4th, 2012, Reformation Sunday, based on John 8, verse 36. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus is John chapter 8, verse 36. As Jesus himself speaks and says, Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you will certainly be free. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. November 1520. Now what's special about that time? It's not as famous as October 31st, 1517. We still commemorate that date as the start of the Reformation, October 31st, when Luther posted the 95 Theses in Wittenberg, questioning the church's practice of selling forgiveness. November 1520 isn't as dramatic as April 1521, when Luther stood before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, in the city of Worms. Having been excommunicated by the Pope, Luther was ordered to recant or take back what he had been teaching under penalty of death. But instead, Luther replies, My conscience is held captive by the word of God. I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. So what's special about November 1520? Well, as you can well imagine, between these two dates, October 31st, 1517, and Luther's refusal to recant in 1521, much, much was going on. Luther went from being an unknown monk who was serving as a university professor and pastor to becoming one of the best-known names in Germany and beyond. During those three and a half years, from 1517 to 1521, much was written, and there were debates and political maneuverings and a lot of publications both for and against what Luther was teaching. And during that time, Luther himself realized that in many, many ways the church had strayed from God's word and he did not keep quiet about God's truth. But during this short period of time, those three and a half years, among all the things that Luther wrote during that time, three Booklets or tracts stand out as the most influential, all published in that year, 1520. And the last of those three tracts is entitled, On the Freedom of a Christian. And that was published in November, 1520. That's what's special about that time. On the Freedom of a Christian brings to us Luther's summary of what the Christian life is all about. Based on what God's word says, Luther Luther presents to us in that booklet really what is the central thoughts and teachings of, of the Reformation. And as you can look at that title, On the Freedom of a Christian, you can see it echoing Jesus' words in the text here from John chapter 8. 
Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you will certainly be free. And as you well know, Jesus is not talking about political, economic, or social freedom. And so also, that little booklet on the freedom of a Christian presents to us what our Christian freedom is all about by presenting two statements that at first, uh, at first appear to contradict each other. The first statement is, a Christian is a free Lord over all things, subject to no one. And the second is, a Christian is a dutiful servant in all things, subject to everyone. On the basis of God's word, let's ponder how these two statements truly express what our Christian freedom is all about. They teach us from God's word about your freedom as a Christian. First of all, a Christian is a free Lord over all, subject to no one. Now where does this freedom come from? We can't gain it by, our, 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 by working for it now, can we? Our outward works cannot bring freedom to our inner self. Dressing up the body with praiseworthy works, pious deeds, or religious observances cannot dress the soul with that true righteousness that alone can stand before God and set us free. Our outward works cannot free us. So what? What sets us free? Luther writes, one thing, and only one thing is necessary for the Christian life, righteousness, and freedom. That one thing is the most holy word of God, the gospel of Christ. Just think back to last week when you heard how Jesus visited the house of Mary and Martha and pointed out to Martha that one thing that was needed. Or think of when Jesus was tempted by Satan to turn the stones into bread. And what did Jesus say? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our Christian freedom comes only from God's word. And what in particular in the word of God, what particular word of God brings us this freedom? Now Luther answers that by pointing us to Romans chapter 1. And he writes, The word is the gospel of God concerning his son who was made flesh, suffered, rose from the dead, and was glorified through the spirit who sanctifies. And God's word not only states these as historical facts, but the preaching of the God's word, as Luther brings out, the true preaching of God's word means to preach why Christ came, what he brought and bestowed, what benefits it is to us. That's how God calls for God, that's how God's word calls forth faith in our from within our hearts. Faith in Jesus Christ, the Son who came for us. Yes, that's why Jesus was born, lived and died for you and me to be our savior from sin and death. That's the gospel. And that, dear friends, is how God's word brings us freedom, namely through faith alone, faith in the gospel. 
Luther writes, faith alone is the saving and efficacious use of God's word. Our works and actions cannot receive and cherish God's word. That's the role of faith, namely to hear and believe God's word. And so, since God's word alone is necessary for our soul's freedom, righteousness, and life, and since only faith can receive God's word, we are justified or set free by faith alone, and not by our works. As Luther points out, that's what Romans 1.17 says, the righteous will live by faith. For you see, dear friends, faith holds on to God's promises for our freedom. God's promises. God's word teaches both his promises and his commands. And God's commandments are certainly good, but we have disobeyed them. The better we know his commandments, the more humbled and reduced in our own eyes we become. The more clearly we see that no effort or work on my part can set me free. For I have broken the commandments and they expose my sin, convict me as a lawbreaker and condemn and damn me to death. But the promises of God free us. And how do they do that? Luther explains, the promises of God give what the commandments of God demand and fulfill what the law prescribes so that all things may be God's alone, both the commandments and the fulfilling of the commandments. That, dear friends, is what's fully and freely credited to you through faith in God's word of promise, namely, the completed fulfillment of all God's commandments. No works of ours could ever accomplish that. And that is what Luther describes as the first power of faith. We grasp that the commandments have been fulfilled for us and that fulfillment is freely credited to us. And then he describes the second power of faith in this way. Faith honors him whom it trusts with the most reverent and highest regard since it considers him truthful and trustworthy. No works on our part can give God that kind of honor and glory. But faith takes God at his word, no matter what is happening in our lives or how bad things become. Even if our reason and reality itself seems to contradict God's word and promise, faith says, I don't care what reason or reality may seem to be saying, the word of my God is true. I will trust him, for he does not lie. I will trust him no matter what happens to me or what I might have I have suffer in this life. For I know that his good and gracious will is at work for me, whether I can see it or not. Or as Luther puts it, faith allows itself to be treated according to God's good pleasure. For clinging to God's promise, it does not doubt that he who is true, just, and wise will do, dispose, and provide all things well. Oh, that the Lord would give us such a faith that trusts him, no matter what we suffer in this life. For the third benefit of faith, Luther brings the imagery of Ephesians chapter 5 to mind as he writes, Faith unites the soul with Christ, as a bride is united with her bridegroom. A married couple shares all things. 
And so through faith in Christ, we share all things with him. Yes, even our sins. Maybe we should say especially our sins. Jesus, our bridegroom, has taken our sins on himself. And he has suffered in our place. Because through faith in him, your sins become his. And he has taken them away from us. Luther pictures it this way. By the wedding ring of faith, Christ shares in the sins, death, and pains of hell, which are his brides. As a matter of fact, he makes them his own and acts as if they were his own. And as if he himself had sinned, he suffered, died, and descended into hell that he might overcome them all. He did that for you, his bride. And just as our sins become his, so also through faith in him, his righteousness becomes yours. So that he presents you to the Father as his glorious bride, beautifully dressed, washed clean in the water and word without stain or wrinkle or blemish. Our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, shares all with us. And so since he is king and priest, so also you and I, through faith in him, are kings and priests as well. The Apostle Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And so, through faith in Jesus. As kings, we are Lord over all things. Nothing can harm us. Yes, nothing can snatch us out of his hands. But all must work for our good, as God promises in Romans chapter 8. But as you think about that, remember that this is a spiritual kingship, not an earthly, carnal, physical one. And so, in this life, The more Christian a person is, the more evils, sufferings, and even death he or she must often endure. Just look at what Christ endured, who is king over all. But while we experience the cross of suffering, through faith we can say with Luther, the cross and death itself are compelled to serve me and to work together with me for my salvation. For you see, through faith in Christ, we are truly free lords over all things. We are kings with Jesus. So that even the evils of this world are subject to serve our eternal good. How this frees us, frees us from the worries, doubts, and burdens of this earthly existence. To know that no matter what we are experiencing, God is working them for our good. They are serving you, who through faith in Christ are kings with him. And not only kings, but also priests. And just briefly, Luther explains what that means with these words. As priests, we are worthy to appear before God, to pray for others, and to teach one another divine things. As you think about all this, what freedom is ours? Because the Son, Jesus Christ, has set us free. What freedom God's word brings to you through faith alone. You, dear Christian, are certainly a free Lord over all things, subject to no one. 
And because the Son, Jesus Christ, has set you free, you, dear Christian, are a dutiful servant in all things, subject to everyone. Part 2. If the Son sets you free, you will certainly be free, Jesus said. Now, who is it that sets us free? Well, the Son, Jesus Christ, of course. And look at Jesus during his earthly life. What did he come into this world to do? Maybe the best way to answer that is with Jesus' own words. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or think of Jesus in the upper room on the night he was betrayed, how he washed the disciples' feet, the job of the lowest servant, and then he says to them, love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. As faith fixes our hearts and minds on Jesus, we see that it is no contradiction that as a Christian I am both a free Lord and a dutiful servant. And so also are you. We serve our neighbor. And as you think about that, remember that our neighbor is not only those who are members of our own family, but also those outside our family. Our neighbor includes both the people we like and the people we don't like. Anyone whom the Lord enables us to help is our neighbor. And as we serve our neighbor, even as Christ loved and served us, we do not do that in order to gain freedom or obtain righteousness or make ourselves holier or more Christian. Now that, that would be a, a contradiction. A contradict, that would contradict faith. It would contradict the freedom that Christ has already won for you and given to us. For you see, how could we make ourselves any holier when Jesus has already declared us to be perfectly right in God's sight through faith in him alone? And so, don't help others so that you can be a good person. Doing good to others does not make you or me good people. And think about that, because this is just the opposite of what the world says. Doing good to others does not make us good people. Rather, because Jesus has already set us free, because he has already declared us perfectly good and holy in God's sight, that, dear Christians, that is why we do good to others, serving our neighbor in love. Luther writes, Good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. And how well that reflects Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And in fact, if you think about it, this is why we also take care of our own health and bodies as Christians, not to glorify ourselves in any way, but so that we can serve our neighbor with our physical life. Luther expresses it this way, this is what makes caring for the body a Christian work, that through its health and comfort we may be able to work to acquire and lay by funds with which to aid those who are in need that in this way the strong member may serve the weaker, 
and we may be sons of God, each caring for and working for the other, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ, alluding to Galatians 6. And so our service as a Christian flows from an entirely different source than the philanthropy, kindness, and service that the world offers. The outward acts may look the same, but we serve because Christ has served us and made us free lords over all so that we can serve one another in love with our full and uh, faith and confidence in Christ alone because he first loved us. Luther elaborates on this as he writes, Although I am an unworthy and condemned man, my God has given me in Christ all the riches of righteousness and salvation without any merit on my part, out of pure, free mercy, so that from now on I need nothing except faith, which believes that this is true. Why should I not therefore freely, joyfully, with all my heart and with an eager will do all things which I know are pleasing and acceptable to such a Father who has overwhelmed me with his inestimable riches. I will therefore give myself as a Christ to my neighbor, just as Christ offered himself to me. I will do nothing in this life except what I see is necessary, profitable, and salutary to my neighbor." Since through faith I have an abundance of all good things in Christ. Hence, as our Heavenly Father has in Christ freely come to our aid, we also ought freely to help our neighbor through our body and its works. This is your freedom as a Christian, dear friends. The Son of Jesus Christ has set you free. You are certainly free. Free from sin's condemnation, free from the law's terrors, free through faith in God's word alone. And that's why it is no contradiction that in this Christian freedom, you and I are both a Lord and a servant. That's not a contradiction, that is a divine truth. And Luther sums that up with these words. We conclude, therefore, that a Christian lives not in himself, but in Christ and in his neighbor. By faith he is caught up beyond himself into God. By love he descends beneath himself to his neighbor. Yet he always remains in God and in his love. It is a spiritual and true freedom and makes our hearts free from all sins, laws, and commands. May Christ give us this liberty both to understand and to preserve. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.